guys are all about me. Uh, we find this uh, misshaped pearls and uh, uh, summer stood when summer stood still. I've taken from She the Light album, which is an excellent album. I suggest uh, you get that. It's a great, great album. Now it gives me great pleasure uh, to introduce Mr. David Stone for our second part about uh, narcissism, which um, creates a great stir and a great interest because we we covered the first part about the lightness. You know of, of healthy narcissism sort of going into that slightly unhealthy side um but now uh we're going to go into slightly in the realms of going from gray into dark really um and and we're going to finish on a light note uh, we're definitely going to do that so so where are we going to start with this so i'm going to ask you now, <laughs> let's, let's get into this good evening because, steve good evening to you this is about narcissistic personality disorder yes so it's the disordered side of narcissism and uh, which can be really fraught and it can cause great great stress in relationships or to people that become the victims of this and end up mm. having PTSD uh, not trusting others etc is a great great cause and effect yeah. and knock-on effect so um, where does where do you want to start with this well um, I think we've got to set the context really. It's a two-way street, yeah. even when you've been a victim of it. So let me just set the context. We're living in an age of objectification and self-gratification. And it's an external seeking for approval, connection and love to fill us from the outside in. And this, of course, can never be enough. You know, it's the entire premise of Buddhism, a constant seeking and searching. And it's reflected in our social media the whole Netflix binging culture, environmentally damaging cultural behaviour, and you know this disposable society that we live in. And this stems from a hunger that's in us all. Most people have a hunger for either love, sex, money, success, belonging. And it's not coming from a true source of inner fulfilment. Um, and so there's something lacking in our society as a whole. It's like the fabric, the context of this discussion. And it has to be said, otherwise we begin to make the bad person evil. And we're looking at a set of behaviours that, that about the victim and the persecutor, the prey and the predator. So we see so much dysfunction, addiction, alcoholism, eating disorders, depression and disease, isolation, emptiness, numbing, grief, the list goes on and on and on. That's kind of the norm in our society. And so it leaves people seeking answers outside of themselves. And there's a vulnerability to that. And that's, this is where people get exploited by, the, by others with a, a narcissistic personality disorders. So this is the kind of the backdrop to how this comes about. And so the role of the church, the education system and religion, it no longer provides this inner sustenance. It doesn't even mask that it ever did. And so the majority of people are out there looking in the new age, exploring science, and they're kind of using things to kind of fill in this gap, to bypass this emptiness that, that is in our culture. And so we have this collective disconnection from the source within us. And this is where people with a narcissistic personality disorder get in and so they can thrive in this environment um, that's embedded in our culture there's this seeking environment this environment where we're hungry for approval for love and they can feed off that and so the background lends itself to see p people like narcissists see others as objects 
but we're in a culture of objectification so everyone's kind of doing it to some extent everyone's to some extent on the spectrum and objects to be manipulated for one's own gains which is partially an aspect of healthy narcissism so what we're seeing is the extreme version of that where there isn't a healthy interplay of um, cooperation there's something predatory and so what we see is the victim often feels worthless unless they're giving and being objectified and the narcissistic personality disorder feels worthless unless they're taking so we're seeing two sides to a coin and it's really hard to say this for those that are suffering out there and those that have been on the victim end especially when it's been a parent or a boss and it's not something you've actually kind of consciously chosen and so I want to ensure we don't end up pathologizing people but we just point to sets of extreme behavioral traits um, and we don't get into blaming the, the persecutor or the victim so it's a very delicate path we need to tread um, and so otherwise if we do we just give our power away our power to heal our power to move on and so I'm just laying the foundation for sort of how we can heal this but um, by taking our responsibility and taking our power back and so let's look at what do we look out for in someone with a narcissistic personality disorder. Let's get into the meat. So there are stages to the relationship which we touched on last, um, last time, and it's the seduction phase. This is where someone with an MPD, that's the abbreviation for narcissistic personality disorder, gets you to lower your guard. They're very complimentary. They mirror your best qualities back to you. And almost as if they are them, so it's that narcissist um, syndrome, looking in the mirror, and you kind of fall in love with a reflection of yourself. It's very clever how they do it. It's that predatory skill set. They spot your deficits, such as hunger for approval, touch, sex, love, money, compliments, and they play to those. They feed them. It makes you feel like you've found your twin flame. They can create this emotional bond very fast, very deeply, um, and an attachment, you feel an attachment to them very, very deeply, but they won't feel that to you because you're an object to be exploited. And that's when the narcissism tips off the scale into the very unhealthy side. And so you're seeing your own light in them. Again, it's this reflection of the mirror and then mistaking it as them. So you're, so you're looking for this soul connection. And then another thing that they do is they peacock. So they point to the books they've read, the people they know, the qualifications they have, um, and they associate themselves with, with status symbols to, to give off this kind of image of, of, of grandeur and an image of, of, of specialness. And this is very common. Um, so because they tend to be quite strong characters and like to be admired and complimented. And... Um, they can exude this air of unshakable conviction. They make very good public speakers. They make brilliant personal growth um, gurus. You know, we've seen the fall of the personal growth guru. B. Schofield, brilliant researcher. She's documented how there's some very sick NPDs in, in, in the, um, you know, the new age. And she, she's basically exposing them and bringing it. But she's been absolutely brilliant for showing this kind of these advanced predatory skills. And they map out your weaknesses. They're mapping out how to exploit them. They're weighing you up. They're weighing you up for your resources and how to plunder them. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, within that, uh, aren't they sort of fishing so that later 
mm. later on they can uh, hook themselves into your weak points and get and twist your energy around. So would that be a, a, a fair thing to extract something from you and devalue you in that sense? That's spot on, Steve. They do exactly that. I call that the exploitation phase. So they're looking to either trauma bond with you, you know, you both relate where you're very wounded. You see that in sharing circles in the new age. A lot of people have been phoning me up telling me that their psychotherapist has, has, um, is a narcissist. And so um, it's, this, it's this bonding where they're getting their hooks into you. And they, the way that they do this in the, the bonding bondage phase is that they, they push and they push and they push and they push. They won't really take a no. And once they've done that, once they've found out where they can push into you, they've kind of punctured or penetrated your core self. And then they set up a stake there and they've kind of entrenched into you and then the hook's in. And it feels almost like, oh, they like me. You can mistake that for kind of uh, a strong, charismatic character and you can default to their power. A little bit like a trauma response, like we talked last week, last time. Fawning and being very obsequious is one of the four trauma responses, um, along with fight, flight and freeze. So you can freeze and then become very, oh yes, yes, very obedient to them. And so it starts off this process of a death by a thousand paper cuts. That's what that actually means, because that's a very cerebral concept. And they'll sandwich compliments with criticism. Um, they'll pull out of supporting you when they've been very supportive, just when you felt you needed them and then you crash to the floor and then they might pick you up and be extra heroic or a bit arsy and a bit rude about it and then make you feel kind of inadequate for actually thinking that there was some consistency, there was some uh, accountability, there was some sense of continuity. They'll criticise you, compare you, and then we're kind of moving into the diminishment phase of the um, put you down. Um, they'll kind of put themselves into your psyche as the critic, as well as the giver, the authority. Yeah, the sneers, I suppose, come in, don't they? You know, um, yeah. But, so if they're talking to somebody else, they'll, they'll smear you, uh, you know, and sort of put you down, and mm. put doubt in other people's minds about who you are and your character, I think. Yeah, they hold you to impossible standards and they yeah. put you down, they tell lies, and they can tell lies pathologically, yeah. as, as sort of as much as blinking. A new lie comes, yeah. you know, with each blink. And it's believable and very plausible. So people tend to, tend to soak that in. That's my understanding. Yeah, they're, they're, so, they're so full of assuredness. They have absolute self-confidence. Where somebody who's actually right and quite an empathic person, quite a loving person, doesn't tend to have such strong natural narcissism. They tend to have a weaker narcissism, which coincides with weaker personal boundaries, weaker um, ability to say no, back off. And so that's where we see two sides of the same coin. They exploit, and one side is too soft, too too flaccid in the in the boundaries. And so they exploit um, wherever you got wherever you're deficient in your sense of self. They're exploiting that. And in a way, that's the learning. They show you where you're not confident, where you've got trauma, where you don't have clear sense of no, where you don't hold people to account. They're kind of almost, I mean, this is awful for those that have suffered, but they're, they're teaching you, they're showing you where you need to get stronger, where you need to put boundaries down, where you need to stop giving yourself away to be loved. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, so we come on to them. I, I suppose you're going to talk about the discard in that sense, because there's this, uh, 
need to, to triangulate. This is where I, I've mm. understood a third party comes in somewhere where they bounce off those to yeah. create this undermining. Uh, you know. Well, they tend to be quite invulnerable, so they don't come to you for their needs because they come to you for basically taking your energy or your resources. So they're, they're kind of working with third parties and that's part of the triangulation of making you look bad, separating you out from your support group and they're kind of not accountable and they're not vulnerable to you. They don't actually care. You're yeah. just an object to that's exploit. The, that's the uh, non-empathic side, isn't it? Yeah. That's, okay, that's interesting. And so they can take advantage and they, they, they prey on your idealisation of them, your need for external reflection, your poor sense of self, your tendency to give yourself away and then freeze and acquiesce. So they're, they're preying on all these things. And then they transfer their pain, their rejection and their hurt into you. So that's gaslighting. Then you might hold them to account and they flip it around onto you and say, no, that's all your stuff. And so projection, projection, gaslighting, and then we feel slightly woozy with the gaslighting. And so I'm aware we're running out of time, so I might sort of jump into some of the ways in which we can look after ourselves around narcissists. We'll come back and have a part three, I think. Okay, okay. So let's let's go for some of the ways we can look after ourselves. And, uh, and we'll do a part three. Okay, so um, just very briefly as we, as we kind of close off, um, crossing the gulf of self-love. This is a very uh, good man who taught me this one. Um, it's speaking up and standing your ground and holding them to account, setting limits and saying no, and uh, remaining impenetrable to lies, and then following through and walking away and being willing to beat them to the discard. Um, overcoming any perceived loss of self by finding and uncovering your true self. Yeah, I love you. And so how you do that is starting to look where your triggers are, where your trauma is, where your weak points are, and starting to get support for that, starting to believe in yourself, and maybe uh, finding some trauma release um, support for releasing any uh, residual trauma or trauma from the relationship. TRE, uh, trauma release exercise, is a great therapy that's out there. Um, uh, pillow beating, tantruming, boxing, swimming, getting physical in your body, doing ceremonies to clear yourself of the energies. Books by Brené Brown on boundaries, discernment. I mean, listening to some of the sages. I mean, Jesus said, don't cast your, your pearls on swine. Um, reclaiming your anger so that your anger isn't beating you up post the abuse. Your anger is helping you to set the boundaries. So utilising your libido, your life force, reclaiming it back. A lot of victims feel completely exhausted and broken. And that's because your anger has been lost. The container of your soul that holds the juiciness of all these emotions has been penetrated. It's been pushed back. It's been kind of siphoned. So this is why people can't even feel anything. They just feel completely eaten out. Um, Restorative justice dialoguing by sort of really having someone hold what would be accountable um, and then practicing being in your body, your breath, embodying being physical. And these are all things that, um, you know, will help you recover. Uh, and so, brilliant. And I, I know we've got to go do more on this. We've run, unfortunately, a bit over. Um, from, from Such a deep subject. It yeah. is, it is, it is deep. And I, I think it's a fantastic, fascinating subject. It's really fascinating. And I think at least uh, one person will, will come across one in their lives, maybe two or three, you know, through their lifetimes. 
So um, it's it's something to really grasp hold of, and there is you know some great ways of dealing with this in a much uh, more healthy way, like you've just suggested. So we'll come back to this subject, I think, next week. Let's get you back in next week to finish part three. Brilliant. All right, I think that'd be a good thing. To thank you for having me, Steve. No, you're welcome. A big, big, big thank you for uh, explaining this. It's been fascinating. Mm. Thank you.